Lock the door, grab some mac and cheese, and turn on that smooth jazz, because tonight we're going round for round. Welcome to Channel 8 and a Half. Hello, and welcome back to Channel 8 and a Half, a podcast about film, television, and pop culture. My name is Andrew Hanna. I am Joe Galino. Joe, what Netflix film are we talking about this week? Because that's all we do now. Correct. Netflix owns all the movies. Therefore, that is all we talk about. We are the Netflix podcast. Thank you and good night. But we're talking about a movie that is borderline irresponsible. Wow. From a financial standpoint and for other reasons. But we're talking about the new movie from Sam Levinson of Euphoria and Assassination Nation fame called Malcolm and Marie, starring two of our favorite actors. Well, Mm -hmm. one of our favorite actors, and we also like Zendaya. But we've been talking about John David Washington a lot recently because he was in Tenet. And I think Zendaya is going to become one of my favorite actors. Also from Euphoria and Disney Channel. I think she was, it was either Disney Channel or Nickelodeon. I don't know which one. Was it Disney? I think it was Disney. And then she also did The Greatest Showman, which I absolutely hated. You hated you like The Greatest Showman? It was yeah, fine. Really what? It. Why? Yeah, it was just so cheesy. Oh, it was very earnest. It was very big. I, I guess earnest is the perfect way to put it. Is like, you know, oh, dreams and chasing your... I feel like La La Land, if you're going to compare the two, which a lot of people did, La La Land is a little oh. bit more real about kind of the struggle of being an artist and being a showman or, you know, a filmmaker, or musician, that type of thing. Uh, yeah, a Greatest Showman I did not like. However, I did love Sundaya in it. She was very good in it. It had your guy Zac Efron in it, too, and he was good in it, too. I didn't mind The Greatest Showman, other than the fact that it completely destroyed the story of P.T. Barnum. They made <laughs> him out to be like a, a nice Hugh Jackman <laughs> song and dance man, and P.T. Barnum was more of like a slave driver who destroyed yeah. lives. But that's besides the point. We have gotten off topic already. <laughs> We're good at that. We're really good at it. We're trying to keep it tight. Talk about one movie. We've already failed. Three minutes in. So what did you think of this? Because it I sounds hate, like you, you hated it. I hated this movie. Wow, I really? Hated I hated it so much. And the reason why. Is before, it because you watched two hours of people just fighting? Ugh. <laughs> Endlessly insufferable was this movie. I didn't hate it, but I could see why someone would hate it. A lot of people did not like this movie. A lot of my opinion on this is going to come down to personal taste because mm-hmm. this is part of a subset of movie, more of an adjacent to a genre that I do not like. But before we get into that, I will lay down what this movie's about. Yeah. It's not about much. John David Washington and Zendaya play Malcolm and Marie. Malcolm is a director. He has just had a big premiere of his latest movie. And it is the night after the premiere. It all takes place in one night, one location. And it is a two-hander of Malcolm and Marie and their relationship, their views on a whole bunch of stuff. But really, there's no plot to it. It's just a a two-hour-long discussion. And I use discussion loosely because there's a lot of yelling and shouting between these two characters and their lives and how they got to this point in their relationship, in their careers, so on and so forth. The problem that I have with this movie, again, which I've just said is personal preference. This could be something that somebody really responds to. You might have really liked it. The mumblecore genre is a genre that I dislike. I wouldn't call this mumblecore, though. I agree. 
but yeah. it's mumblecore adjacent to an extent. It's in the tradition of mumblecore. Kind of, yeah. It, yeah. Mum- no mumble- plot, mostly conversations. No plot, meandering, a lot of moping. Mumblecore is more moping. A lot of just people brooding and being sad, whining about problems that aren't problems. That's mumblecore. This movie takes a lot of those things and jacks them up to 11. I feel the voice of Sam Levinson, the director and the writer, more than anything else in this movie. And it is a voice that I don't like. It is a voice that I think needs to shut the hell up. Because, <laughs> my God, the amount of just irritating lecturing that comes from mostly John David Washington's character about filmmaking, about criticism, about what I felt like was a, a, a poor little rich boy just complaining about how people are being mean to him. They weren't even being mean to him. They weren't being mean to him. I could not deal with it personally, and I had no patience for it. The movie meanders in a way that it just spins its wheels over and over and over again. Really, if you saw the first half an hour, you can turn the movie off after half an hour and you get it because it doesn't progress anywhere else from there. That being said, I liked a lot of things about this. Mm -hmm. I liked the performances. I liked John David Washington and I liked Zendaya and they elevated the material, certainly. Then again, the material was, I mean, on the ground. It, there was nowhere to go but up, in my opinion. No, I agree to an extent. I think the performances were the primary redeeming quality of this. I don't think it, I minded it as much as you did. I do think that you are valid in your criticism because it was fighting most of the time. And and about a quarter of the way through, I was like, is this really, I I, I don't want to sit for this. Like, I Oh, I, it's a real bummer. It's a bummer, but it's not as much as I thought it would be. I think at times it did take a breath, it did step back, and there were some funny moments. Like, there were parts of John David Washington's rant, which is just <laughs> over the top, because I feel like, more than anything, I don't think he's necessarily upset with the review. I think that there's nothing that he could have read that would have made him happy because it was a good review. And Zendaya even says, well, okay, that's how you react on a good review. I can't imagine if you got a bad review. The critic calls it a masterpiece in the review, and he's still (laughs) angry. She calls it a tour de force. And that's the thing. I think he was expecting a bad review, and when he got a good one, he needed some way to release that negative anticipation. And so it was almost like a cathartic rant. And I like that. I didn't mind it. I, I think this film wasn't mumblecore. I, I understand where you're coming from, from mm-hmm. that angle. I, it felt like a product of the, like the 60s and 70s films. Stylistically, but more so because of the minimalistic kind of bare bones production of it. Felt like a pseudo amateur film that focused on performances and characters. I think if you stripped away the distractions of films these days, you're left with something like this that might not be the most compelling thing to watch. But when all is said and done, I, I think it's still worth watching. I would recommend this to a film student. <laughs> not to enjoy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was taxing in a lot of places. And like you said, it meanders. But the progression of their arguments was realistic. And it was made more natural by the performances. I got annoyed with it quickly. Well, yeah, and I think the subject matter easily loses you. No one wants to watch people fight for two hours, and it quickly turns into just a back-and-forth power struggle where they just switch off having the upper hand in every scene. And that does get exhausting, but I think that by the end of it, you got fully formed characters. Like, you knew who these people were. You thought they were fully formed? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I never felt that. Like, I think you understand quickly the type of people they both are. So much so that less than 30 minutes into the film, I could anticipate how each of them would react to 
something that the other said. Like you quickly get the impression that Malcolm is the type of person that will play dumb to the fact that Marie is clearly upset with him in an effort to just keep the peace. Yeah. And if we, the audience, can tell that she's upset in the beginning and we don't even know her as much as he does, he would obviously notice. And not until she's blatant with her attitude that he can no longer ignore it. And she just says, oh, I don't want to have a fight right now. You do. Well, if you didn't want to get into an argument, you wouldn't have made it clear that you were upset. And that's a very realistic progression of an argument. And it tells you a lot about them as characters. But even as we move forward, they become clearer and clearer. I think I maybe came out of it not as bothered because I thought it was going to be far more melodramatic and cumbersome than it actually turned out to be. See, and that's the thing is that I responded to it in a way that I didn't see them as characters. I saw them purely as mouthpieces for the director. And that's why I didn't view them as characters. And that is, again, where, where personal preference comes into play. In, in the moments where he's talking about the critic, I agree with that. That that's his frustration, the writer-director's frustration coming out through the characters. It felt very Aaron Sorkin-ish, you know, where he basically <laughs> just get, you know spews his political opinions through d- dialogue, which isn't really even a conversation. It's just uh, grandstanding or just a soapbox. And I didn't find this as stylistically well done or as engaging as an Aaron Sorkin piece. I, d- I definitely do not think it is on that level. Now, again... I will preface it again by saying it a third time. It is not a subject matter that I respond to, whereas something that an Aaron Sorkin could write is something I respond to. Yeah. So again, personal preference. You responded to it a little bit better than I did. And I think I responded to it from the standpoint of just scene study. Again, a filmmaker, an actor can look to this to see how power dynamics play into a scene. The character's wants, the subtext was clear while it was still avoiding the pitfalls of expositionary dialogue, at least in my opinion. Like Marie saying one thing and then we later realize, oh, this isn't about him not thanking her. This is really about something else. Mm -hmm. And she was just using that as an entry point for the real conversation that she wants to have. And I think they did that pretty well. And even from a production standpoint, the cinematography was good without needing to be flashy. Oh, see, this is the parts that I liked. Now we're getting into the part that I did. Like, is the cinematography, it was beautifully shot. It was on 35 millimeter, the black and white. The score was very, very good. The jazzy score. Although it does a weird thing where it tries to get ahead of the criticism and I'm now going to criticize the movie's criticism of criticism where it goes uh, in, oh, the re- yeah. in the review. He goes, and then blah, 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 the jazzy score. And I'm like, but Malcolm and Marie, you have a jazzy score. <laughs> I don't understand what you're saying here. Are you not now? Are we trying to flip it on its head? Are you trying to be clever? Because you're not smart enough to be clever. So I don't know what's going on here. Here's the thing. I think for the circumstances in which it was made, it was good. I mean, Zendaya apparently reached out to him because they worked together on Euphoria. Euphoria. And she was like, can you write and direct a film in a month? And he said, yeah, sure. And so this felt like a, like almost like a project that they weren't necessarily taking that seriously. Although Netflix paid $30 million for this. They outbid everyone. For $30 this. million. Dollars. And if you some cursory Googling, one line of Google says that. The budget was $2.5 million. That's even more than I thought. You could have shot this on a $150,000 budget. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Because it was, and that's the thing. That's why I go back to the whole, if you wanted to show this to an amateur filmmaker, you have one location and you have two actors, minimal crew. You're shooting black and white, which allows for much quicker lighting setups. You're not worried about color temperature and all that BS. So you really are 
allowing the budget to become the aesthetic, which is something we've spoken about in the past. And so I feel like if you're going to look at it from a production standpoint, this is kind of a masterclass. Go out and just make a film. Would you agree that if you saw this in film school, you think to yourself, oh, this is actually really good, right? You know, given the context of the circumstances, this wasn't bad. And I think that the performances were the best thing to come out of this. I loved Zendaya. I thought she was so good. And even in the lighthearted moments, it was realistic. Like when you almost go in and out of an argument or you're making concessions to try to heal whatever has just been said. Like things like that I felt were fairly realistic. This and Clerks have a lot in common. Black and white, one location, small budget. Clerks is a much better movie. But you're right. I mean, all you need is a camera, two people, and... A really nice house. A really nice house. (laughs) Have you ever listened to Edgar Wright talk about Clerks? Because Edgar Wright Wright made his first movie called A Fistful of Fingers, which was like Mm this mock... mock, uh, Oh, yes, I've heard this. Comedy Western. Yeah. And then he was like, he saw Clerks, and he was like, oh, you could just put a camera like where you work and just film (laughs) it? Because he was like, that's so much easier because I did all this Western stuff and had people in hats and guns and doing all these dolly shots. And he was like, that's so much smarter. I should have just done Clerks. I love Clerks. And I'll tell you what it is about Clerks that I think is actually pretty brilliant is the whole premise of the film is I wasn't even supposed to be. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it was my day off and I get called in and all this crap just happens. You know what? I also think that Malcolm and Marie has a lot of similarities to Lady in the Water in its (laughs) In its stance on critics and in the way that people perceive a movie, and M. Night Shyamalan's character in Lady in the Water is a film critic, and he gets the short end of the stick a lot in Lady in the Water, if I remember correctly. And again, this is my memory. This is my memory of Lady in the Water. But I remember thinking, boy, Lady in the Water is a movie that really hates film critics Mm -hmm. in the same way that Malcolm and Marie really hates film critics. But I almost feel like he was it was ironic. And I oh, think it was I don't meant give to be. I don't give him that benefit of the doubt. See, maybe maybe you can give him the benefit of the doubt. I do not. Well, it's not even the benefit of the doubt because some of his criticism of criticism was contradictory. And Zendaya calls him out every step of the way, especially in the beginning when she's kind of pissed off at him. Like when he's upset that the L.A. Times Karen, as he calls her, was trying to be too woke. But if she had given him a bad review, he would have likely said that it was because he was a black filmmaker, which he literally says earlier. And Zendaya essentially says you're upset with her because you think you had it so hard. But really, you're probably more privileged than her. So I think Levinson, the writer director, is clearly presenting two sides to the argument, which I think is interesting. That was see, there are questions in this movie, though, that I do think are valid. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like the whole Lego movie thing. I thought it was hilarious, but it's true. I mean, he's like. If I made a Lego movie, they'd say it's a commentary on American society. And I'm saying that the building blocks of the American empire was slave labor. That's hilarious because I can totally see that happen. I can empathize with the questions that he's asking. Like, you know, for example, telling a story about somebody who does not look like you, right? Mm -hmm. Malcolm's main character in his movie is a white woman. And is that okay? Can I? Is she white? I thought she was black. Oh, I assume she was white. Was she black? I don't know. She was black because she said the white savior. Remember the white savior thing? Oh, that's right. You're right. And so he's like, she says that I averted the white savior trope, but I fell into the male view. And yeah, then male gaze also, And then even Zendaya says, well, you also had her being attacked while she was topless. 
And mm-hmm. I, I think that that's a valid argument. She pokes holes in his arguments half the time. I mean, from the beginning, especially when she's annoyed. But in the moments where she's talking about that, she's like, I agree with her. Why was she naked? Why did she have to be naked? Right. Which is a valid question. Mm-hmm. Like, can I, for example, write something, tell a story about a 75-year-old Native American woman? Would it, would it matter? I mean, Sam Levinson is, is a white guy. Yeah. In telling a story about two black characters. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't have answers to these questions. Maybe the answer is different for everybody. I don't know. But Zendaya and John David Washington were producers on this. Does that lead a certain does, does that give this a an amount of credibility into the story as opposed to if it was just, you know, if they weren't producers? Does that credit mean anything? Again, I have no answers to these questions. Well, and that's why I feel like I didn't mind it as much because I didn't feel like he was on a soapbox. I, I think he was just having a conversation with himself because the filmmaker, who is a white man making a film about two black characters, and he's portraying a black man who is making a film about a black woman and that you can't win. You will never win <laughs> with the critics in, in that sense. Like you're, you're always, they're going to find something. Unless you were a black woman who was addicted to drugs, you couldn't make this film without being criticized in some way. I think that's what he's trying to say in that sense. I think so. And that might be a problem in that, you know, if, if you're pigeonholing people into only telling one specific thing, you know, what does that do for, you know, for, for branching out? Like then everybody's just going to tell the exact same story over and over and over again. And that's, that's not good. No, I completely agree. And I think that's where quote unquote woke culture begins to fall apart. Do I agree that an Asian character should be played by an Asian actor? Hell yes. But then shouldn't the same thing be applied to gay characters? But then what about characters with only one eye? Like, I think all those are valid arguments, but at the same time, you're also shedding out different perspectives, albeit some of those perspectives were always amplified and never really struggled to get out. So it it gets muddy, but it is an interesting conversation to have. And I don't mind that he brought it up. I just don't like the way that he brought it up. Sure, it's loud about it, but I don't think you can bring those things up in a film without it sounding like this. It's a movie that really wants to... It's something that you brought up when you said it wants to be from the 60s and 70s, or I I thought about the 50s as John Cassavetti. This really wants to be Mm -hmm. a John Cassavetti movie. But then then John David Washington's character would yell at you, be like, no, it's not. Like, well, fine then, Malcolm. He he brings up William Wyler, Wyler too. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. To be fair, I did laugh when Zendaya's character was like, I don't know who William Wyler is. I'm like, nobody else does. Yeah, nobody but she, we do. And she even looks at her and she says, nobody no one, cares. No one cares no one about knows. who William Wyler is yeah. except for like five people, which I did see. I did think it was funny. There's there's elements of this I laughed at. John David mm-hmm. Washington outside just like punching the air and screaming. I yeah. was like, this is funny. But I think I just realized the perfect comparison to this. Did you watch Blue Valentine? Oh, I was going to bring up Blue Valentine. You beat me to it. Thank you. <laughs> yes, I completely thought of Blue Valentine when, when I was Did watching Did you this. like Blue Valentine? No. Yeah. I didn't like the feeling of it, and I would never watch it again, but it was very good. But I didn't like watching it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You liked the movie. You just didn't like how it made you feel. Like that. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver was not fun to watch, but right, it's a like, good film. Blue Valentine isn't a fun movie. and. Yeah. I, I never I, went back to it. I didn't enjoy it, no, but I still true. thought it was good. In the same way that Raging Bull is something that I'm like, well, mm-hmm. I, this is brutal and yeah. very taxing, but it's probably the best thing you're ever going to see. And I'm, and you're not just going to throw it on. So do you think Blue Valentine is better than this? 
yes, I do think Blue Valentine is better than this because I think it's more nuanced. It is a more nuanced portrayal of a couple on the downslope of their relationship, whereas this was just too much pedantic yelling. Mm-hmm. What did you think? I think Blue Valentine was far darker than this, but this at least had moments where I was legitimately laughing out loud. Like I, there was no laughter during Blue Valentine. Do I think Blue Valentine is a better movie? Yes, but I I would go back to this before I would go back to Blue Valentine, although I will likely not rewatch this either. That's why I stayed away from Marriage Story as well. Oh, it almost felt like, yes. why, why do I want to watch two people fight for an hour and a half or two hours? And this was that to an extent, but I think in there are moments that are funny. There are moments that are familiar, that are realistic. And I appreciated that about this is it didn't go overboard to where it was too dark. And you're like, oh, my God. I think overall, I don't regret seeing it. I think if you like Zendaya and John David Washington, then definitely check it out. I think you'd like the performances. Otherwise, you aren't necessarily missing anything. And if you're an actor or filmmaker, this is still a good film to dissect from a dialogue standpoint, from a production value standpoint. And again, it comes down to personal preference. It's not a type of subject matter that I respond to or particularly like. And so therefore, I was I was probably not going to like this movie regardless. And the execution then just, in my eyes, made it worse. That is my overall take. But I think that does it for our review of Malcolm and Marie. If you had a chance to watch it, let us know what you thought. Did you agree or disagree with anything we discussed? If you enjoyed the conversation, please consider leaving a like and subscribing if you want to join us for future episodes. If you have any ideas for a theme you'd like us to discuss or a film, TV show, anything pop culture, let us know on YouTube, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find all those links on channel8andahalf.com. That's channel 8 and a half completely spelled out.com we have new episodes every thursday until next time my name is joe galino and i'm andrew hannah and this is channel eight and a half